Hello and welcome to episode 68 of the Mo Money Podcast. I am your host, Jessica Morehouse. Thank you so much for joining me for another fabulous episode of the Mo Money Podcast. And today I'm very excited. This was a really great interview I did with a uh, personal finance expert, very well known here in Canada, always on the TV and uh, talking money. And her name is Rubina Amin Huck, and you can find her at her website, alwayssavemoney.ca, or on Twitter, or everywhere. So in this episode, we uh, talk a lot about a topic that I don't think I've really discussed too much in this show, which was really great. It was just really kind of the psychology of like where our spending habits and our money habits come from. So we talk a lot about uh, Rubina's upbringing and just how that really um, affected her growing up and how that kind of led her into um, business and then personal finance specifically for her work. But before I get to this great interview with Rubina, I want to say thank you to Well Simple for supporting the Mo Money podcast and sponsoring this episode of the show. Now, in case you don't know, Well Simple is the fastest growing automated investing service in Canada. Well Simple uses smart technology to help you create, manage a diversified investment portfolio, saving you time and money. And of course, since you were a Mo Money podcast listener, you can get a $50 bonus when you sign up at wellsimple.com slash Jessica Morehouse. Thank you, Rubina, for joining me on the show today. I'm very excited to finally chat with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you too. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, the reason I, I kind of wanted to make sure you were on the show is, you know, I think one day I was just Googling personal finance expert and I'm pretty sure you were one of the first people who came up in Google. So um, I'm like, oh, I definitely need to chat with her. She knows what she's talking about. Um, but so let's kind of, I, I'd love to get to know a little bit more about you and how you got into um, the personal finance uh, world. And I know a lot had to do with you kind of, uh, finding the or realizing the importance of uh, money when you were very young? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a pretty frugal household. My story is not unlike any other uh, first generation Canadian where my parents came to Canada in the 70s and started basically not from nothing, but from very uh, meager beginnings, um, had to buy a house, had to save mm-hmm. money, had to sort of... Uh, uh, just get the lay of the land and make their way in this new landscape called, well, for us, it was Toronto, Ontario, but for, mm-hmm. you know, the Canadian landscape. Um, and money was pretty tight. Like my father was the only one that worked full time. My mom did a lot of odd jobs, but it wasn't uh, where she was bringing in like a huge income and he, he wasn't bringing in a huge income either. So he was really supporting us. And then again, pretty typical of many immigrant families. A lot of mm-hmm. you know times my dad was helping his own parents out back home. His parents lived right. in Pakistan and they often, so money was something that was always a dis- point of discussion, sometimes a point of tension, but all, always a point of discussion in my, in my household growing up, because we always needed to make our dollar go as far as possible. And mm-hmm. that was evident in uh, the way my mom bought groceries, the way that my parents paid their bills, the way that our relationship was money. You know, we didn't have how we do now, just go to the grocery store and throw a credit card down and buy whatever's in the basket. Mm-hmm. My mom had a very specific budget and she had to stay within it. And if she didn't stay within it, then she had to put stuff back. So that's kind of the way I grew up. Mm-hmm. And I took a lot of those uh, lessons with me and sort of have formulated them so that they still resonate. Like I still find myself using some of the lessons my parents taught me with my own day to day 
uh, spending. I mean, one of the mm-hmm. things was my parents always recommended we do stuff for free because free mm-hmm. was good, right? So it was. Mm-hmm. So I still like now that I have kids, like instead of taking them to expensive amusement parks and you know making sure that I spend a lot of money on them, I really do focus on what's happening in the community, what's happening for free, where can we walk, where can we bike. I still have that mentality, and I feel like a lot of people my age don't. They're mm-hmm. really the focus is on let's get our kids out there, let's buy them stuff, let's make them happy by taking them to the best everything, which costs a lot of money. So I think that's sort of what shaped my shaped my first understanding of what my relationship with money was and how I view personal finance even to today. How it's a very it is a very personal thing because it's the difference between. Um, having something you want, having something, not having something you want. I mean, it literally does come down to, I think, those simple sort of lessons. Absolutely. So you, that's really interesting that you say that money was a very kind of open uh, topic for conversation. Or or was it like, did you talk openly about money as a family? Or was it just like something that you observed? No, I mean, money was a very open topic. I'll give you a good example. My, um, in the 1990s, uh, you know, you probably don't remember, but housing prices were... I do were, remember the 90s. Uh, <laughs> housing prices were, you know, really wonky. Like, sort of mm-hmm. what we're going through now where people were, like, talking about, is there a bubble? Is there not? I mean, this was the early 90s, and then yeah. we realized towards the mid-90s that, it, you know, things sort of simmer, simmered down for a while. But um, my parents were really interested in selling their home and moving to um, north of Toronto to Richmond Hill because Mm -hmm. they thought, okay, we can get a bigger house and we can get bigger bang for our buck. But we were really attached to our area, to our friends, very typical kind of teenagers, Mm -hmm. didn't want to leave our schools. And so it became a a discussion where my father said, I have $100,000 extra that I can spend. I can either put it into this house and renovate it and expand it so that we can all kind of, we were a family of five, Mm -hmm. so we can Mm -hmm. all live here happily and not be tripping over each other or we can take that money and we can buy a new house and that house will be brand new and it will be bigger but it will be in a different area and we voted on it and it was very much a democratic process where we voted three to two I think it was like my mom and two of us wanted to stay and my youngest brother and my dad wanted to go I don't remember exactly who voted how my dad really wanted to go he thought it was a good move And so money, you know, it was a very specific figure at that time, $100,000. So he took that $100,000 and renovated the house. And they still live in that house in Scarborough. We still go there. And now... No way. Yeah, so it's it's, it's just... And we all felt very much a part of it. And uh, it was very real to us because at 14 years old, $100,000 is like, it might as well be a billion dollars. It just was money we couldn't even imagine. But the fact that they made us part of that part of that process, you know, today, if I'm doing a renovation, I sort of think back and remember some of the things I learned about just making decisions with a bit of uh, just taking time and patience before you make big money decisions, rather than getting caught up in, oh, let's just do you know, these type of ceilings and granite counter, uh, you know, uh, yeah. countertops. And so I, I remember those conversations in my house because it wasn't just a case of deciding to renovate the home and make it bigger. Then there was all the extra stuff that we had to make sure that we weren't going to go over that budget that my dad had told us we had. So you were a big part of the renovations and like being part of the budget and deciding, you know, what are we going to renovate and wh- what are we going to fix up in the house? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't so much that we were you know, I think in the end, my parents really did steer the ship, like they're the yeah. ones that were making the decisions. But it wasn't like our opinion didn't matter. So yeah. like, if we wanted, 
like, you know, I was able to paint my room the color I wanted. I was able to um, um, make sure that the washroom that I was now going to share with my brother was the way that I wanted it. Like there was little things that we were able to do, but, uh, you know, obviously they had the final say. And at the time, like, we are not so concerned about uh, like the, you know, some of the expensive finishings that we now get, you know, our friends had this kind of, uh, mm-hmm. uh, finishing in their kitchen. We, you know, we don't, we're not, we weren't that concerned. We were more concerned about function. So yeah. I want to make sure that this really, you know, this really works for me. So they really did hear us and made sure that in the end, the house was the kind of house that we all were going to be happy living in. Wow. That's just so awesome. It's not a story I hear that much. Usually the story I hear is, um, you know, maybe they did have uh, frugal parents or or whatever, or they didn't learn about personal finance and how to manage their money until later. But it always seems like everyone's like, oh, we didn't really talk about money when I was growing up. And that's a big issue because if you don't talk about it growing up, you don't know about money until you have to deal with it. And that's when you start making mistakes because you learn from your mistakes, hopefully. But, you know, lots of people, you know, don't have such a great kind of foundation like you did. And I think hopefully, you know, more people will kind of do what your parents did and really kind of integrate the kids into those financial conversations. I mean, I know my parents did somewhat, but probably not to the same extent as you, but I I definitely know if I have kids, um, that's going to be a big, you know, it's never going to be a taboo subject. They're definitely going to know, you know, how much we make and what it means to save and investing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I think um, we don't give kids enough credit as to how much they understand when it comes to anything, really. I mean, and that includes money. And yeah. that if we openly talk to them about it, then they will understand that there is only so much that can go around. So they might not get the same deep understanding that they will maybe later in life when they actually go and buy a house. And I'm not saying that that made you know anything any easier. It just mm-hmm. sort of made it more familiar. I think that's the better way of putting it, where I didn't feel so... Uh, green going into some process like buying a house or buying a car, I sort of mm-hmm. already understood some parts that I had to take care of, like understand if I can afford it and how to do the, you know, figure out the payments or whatever it was, where some people don't even have that sort of very basic understanding of how to, like if a car is $20,000 and then you're going to pay it over five years, like they don't even know how to get their head around that. Whereas mm-hmm. I felt like I could really make those kind of decisions without feeling like I had to ask someone, like I could do it on my own. And that really, I mean, my dad is the kind of person who likes to talk about money. So that helped Mm -hmm. to the point where sometimes it's, it's sometimes not (laughs) uh, a polite, I guess, like people like I, like we don't like to tell him sometimes what something costs because we feel that he's going to go and tell other people because he likes to talk about money, (laughs) but it, it worked in our favor because like I'm, even now, like as a freelancer, mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't say that I broadcast it, but I have a, a, a certain group of friends. I absolutely share what I get paid. I absolutely mm-hmm. share what I think they're worth. Like I get people who call me all the time and say, this, uh, you know, company called me and they want me to do a six month social media, whatever it is that it, you know, what do you think I should ask? And I feel very confident telling them, okay, I did this program. Like, you know, two years ago, it's pretty similar. I think you should ask this much. Mm-hmm. And same goes the other way around. Like I've, I felt really comfortable approaching and, you know, uh, salary is something that's pretty personal, but, um, yeah. I don't think I would have even that, like, I mean, there's, there's couples that don't talk about their salaries, right? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. There's couples where they'd be like, I really don't know how much my husband makes or my wife makes, which is really scary. That is um, scary. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. No, it, and it, it, that's like, I, I think the most important, uh, 
like it's it's just part of being I mean because if, if someone later finds out you make a lot more than you let on or a lot mm-hmm. less than you let on just makes you feel betrayed right and then that's yeah. not a good feeling yeah yeah you want to feel like you're on the same page so talking about that as early as possible is probably you know a, mm. a good thing no it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because yeah it's only um kind of into my later 20s I got more kind of confident to ask some of my friends or coworkers how they made usually for the coworkers, I'd ask after I was leaving that job I'd be like FYI how much did you make just out of curiosity but then you kind of get an idea of like okay so this is what I should ask for next time or this is what I should expect and I mean it's absolutely important especially as women we know we you know we want to be paid as much as men we want to have uh that equality and so I think it's absolutely important to know how much you should be paid so you can ask for what you're you know worth basically yeah and it's a very delicate line of like it's a very delicate conversation because exactly I mean, you still want to hang on to your own marketability. Like you don't want to give it all away so that, you know, you want to make sure that you protect yourself. But Mm -hmm. how are we ever, especially like you said, as women um, and as freelancers, it's like, Mm -hmm. like, you know, it just adds to the, to the insecurity. Yeah. Right. How do you, and I mean, like I had this happen just last week, like, uh, um, it was uh, it was a public service that called me and they mm-hmm. wanted me to do a speech and what they were offering was, you know, and they were all, they were suggesting I do it for free. And I just, Ugh. I really, and I had a day where uh, I had kind of put up with a little bit too much that day. So I yeah. think my, 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 um, my confidence of just speaking my mind was really high. And so yeah. I sort of just pounded out an email and I said, well, you know, I really, I can't do this. Like it wasn't rude or mean or anything. I, yeah. I'm well aware that you can, you know, that reputation can last a long time, but, um, it was very direct. Like, you know, I really, I mean, I appreciate your offer, but doing this for free would, would, you know, I I just don't do that anymore. And I, that's happened two or three times in the last three months where, um, I've been been surprised actually, because some couple of things I I was a bit, like I was a bit apprehensive because I really wanted it, but at the same time I didn't take advantage of, and I was like, Oh, if I lose it, I'll feel like, you know, I'll feel terrible. But mm-hmm. I put my foot down and then when they came back and they're like, okay, and it was, it was, you know, it sort of is a testament that if you sort of stand your ground, and I always say to other freelancers, we all have to do it together. Like we can't, yep. you know, I can understand in the beginning, like I did so much free stuff in the beginning just to get my mm-hmm. name out there, but, and I still will, like I wouldn't, you know, if I was asked to speak to a, certain groups of people, I think I would do it. Like if it was a yeah. charitable organization, yeah. but, um, uh, generally speaking, I just feel that, you know, when one says I'll do it for nothing, then it just kind of brings everyone's value down, which is not good. No, absolutely. And yeah, I, I same with you. I have kind of a, a circle of, of people that, you know, when there's, and we're all kind of know each other. And so if some kind of campaign comes along, we'll kind of, you know, be like, Hey, did you get offer this or, or I got the offer this, what, what do you think? And it is kind of a weird thing to kind of talk about because you, A, you don't want to, you know, offend anyone. You want to be delicate about it, but you also want to make sure that you're getting paid, you know, your worth for your work because you are working hard and, you know, it is tough at the beginning. You will kind of do some things for free or for cheap, but sometimes you need to kind of say no, which sounds hard because I, I, like I, you know, just have my side hustle. I do have a day job, but my husband is a freelancer. So I absolutely understand his struggle. He's been at freelancer for 10 years. And so he is always afraid that if he says no, or if he, 
you know, accept something too low or whatever. He's always like, is this going to be my last opportunity? Is this going to be the last time someone ever asks me to work for them? And it's always kind of that panic. And it never is. <laughs> but. My, my brother is an actor. And when I was struggling with trying to figure out how I can approach this one offer and make sure that, they, that I got paid for it, because yeah. the offer sounded great. And we were having a back and forth on email. And I just wanted to make sure that that line came in. And I can't remember, he worded it so so beautifully, but I can't like something like the minute you take it for free, you're not worth it. Exactly. Like the minute, you know, or something, something to that effect where it's like you yourself are just telling them, yeah, I'm not worth it. Like I totally will do this for free. Like you don't really need to care about me. He goes, but as soon as they pay you, you're worth it. So it's a totally yeah. different dynamic. And he goes, and in order you, you can, you only do it once yeah. and that's it. You can never go back and say, you know, now you have to pay me. He goes, that's it. Like they're not going to, they're never going to pay you. It's, mm-hmm. it's, they're getting it for nothing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get emails like all the time. I actually got one this week that uh, it was some kind of, uh, you know, website that, you know, had a bunch of different offers, kind of like an agency. And they came to me, they had this, you know, campaign and they offered me $30. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm sorry, uh, did you get the right email here? And I'm like, no, this is my usual rate. And they came back with like $10 more. I'm like, all right, I'm marking you as spam. I think I was also in a kind of a grumpy mood that morning and I'm just like no yeah. goodbye <laughs> yeah it's it's a tough uh a tough thing so I want to kind of yeah talk about a bit uh of your career because you started out as a journalist do you still do journalism now or is it mainly just being the uh, a freelancer so I mean I'm still I, I still act call myself yeah. a journalist and mm-hmm. I still sort of approach every story with that kind of mindset yeah. where I've got to get the who, what, when, oh, you know, who, what, why, when, I, what's the who, what, why, when, where, how? Yeah, that's Yeah, it. you got them. So, yeah. You know, this, yeah, exactly. That's it. So, I mean, it's still, it's still that is that approach. I mean, I do a column every week on CBC mm-hmm. Radio. This week we're talking about, you know, what would a, you know, how are businesses responding to Donald Trump? So, yeah. it, you know, it takes a lot of digging and it takes a lot yeah. of understanding who's getting behind him. Why are they getting behind him? Who's not? Why are people being lukewarm? You know, if he calls himself a businessman, why doesn't he have, you know, the business community support sort of yeah. connecting the dots outside of the obvious that he's like, you know, the kind of person that he is. Yeah. And um, so, but then at the same time, like sometimes I'll get called like, I'm also a spokesperson for PC Financial. So when I do, you know, when I'm working with uh, on, a, on a project with PC Financial, like I'll often get asked to give my tips, like how to save money for back to school and how right. to, uh, you know, uh, make the most of your grocery shop. And that really comes from my own experience, Personal my experience, own expertise. Yeah. yeah. So it really depends on the hat I'm wearing. But I really do consider myself a journalist first mm-hmm. where, uh, you know, that's my core talent and that's what I'll always go back to if yeah. everything else sort of fell apart. And um, that's what I'm best at. I mean, I'm really good at, you know, I'm really good at sort of relaying information and storytelling. Mm-hmm. But um, it doesn't come from great experiences. It also comes from uh, just having that journalist mind. I believe that that's Absolutely. what it comes from. Yeah. Yeah. So so why did you want to kind of focus on personal finance specifically? So I'd been working as a news reporter um, for the better part of about 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I'd done a lot of stuff. Like I had been with, you know, local news here in Toronto. And then Mm -hmm. I went to Pakistan and I worked there for a while with 
ABC News because mm-hmm. for a while I wanted to do foreign correspondence. Like That's every cool. Single journalist graduate in the world, journalism yeah. graduate in the world. Yeah, they all want to do that. So yeah. I quickly realized that wasn't the thing. I mean, I still see some of the people I came across on like CNN and stuff, and I think, oh my gosh, they're like basically in the exact same place yeah. where I left them. You know, they're doing amazing yeah. work, but it's such a hard, hard, hard life. And then um, I came back and I still kind of had that bug to travel. So I went and I worked in England for a few years. So I worked for the BBC for a few years, Ooh, again, cool. doing like doing like a lot of news and working local. Like for some reason, I kept ending up so I was a freelancer and I kept getting yeah. calls from like BBC London, which was so random because <laughs> it's like working for a local station in Toronto and being from London, London, England. And yeah, it's just people were really confused as to why I was even talking. And it, it was it was great. <laughs> and um, when I came back, I worked for the CBC for quite a while, and then I went to CP24. But I was getting a little bit, um, I was getting a little lost, I got to say, mm-hmm. like with what I wanted to do with my career. And I was really, really getting tired of doing odd hours. Yeah. And it, people don't realize like how much it weighs on you when you start to miss like weddings and birthdays from your best friend, of your best friend, and like how much that starts to just kind of accumulate into a feeling of, um, anger almost. That's the only yeah. way to explain Like, I just remember the day that I went home and cried and I'm like, I can't do it anymore. Like yeah. I can't do every, you know, so it's just, so I started looking for a beat and that was yeah. my first, that was the advice I got was look for a beat because if you find a beat, then it's much easier to do more regular hours and you've got longer deadlines and you're not in this like sort of 24 hour news cycle. Mm-hmm. So business was my most obvious choice because of what I told you about how I'd grown yeah. up. I'd totally. always been interested in business. And so it just so happened that at the time, the producer at TSX quit. So I was working at CP24 and the producer at CSX quit and they needed someone pretty much overnight. So they were asking everyone around and nobody wanted to do it because it's business and everyone's afraid of it. So I said, (laughs) I'll do it. Like I'll do the producing job. I go under one circumstance that I can do on air as well. And Mm -hmm. so they said, fine. And so I went down there and that was kind of my life for a while. I booked guests and I would be on sometimes and they would be like, it was sort of just like a little, I ran this little little studio out of the mm-hmm. TSX. And, um, so that kind of got me thinking that this is what I want to do. And I got, I met a lot of, like, I mean, you meet like CEOs of companies and it's just really kind of good access to people. Yeah. And like, even today I can call and email some people and they'll totally respond because we, we, we built a, a you know, a rapport over the mm-hmm. years I worked there anyway. So, um, so that happened. And then uh, the whole TSX sort of, they stopped all that production out of the TSX. And so like my contract wasn't renewed because there was really nothing for me to do. So I went Mm -hmm. and did my Canadian securities course because I thought, okay, I have to get some letters Mm -hmm. behind me or some credentials behind me. And, um, in the beginning I was doing pure economics and business. Like I worked at, I freelanced at BNN. I did a pretty long stint with John Moore's show as their business correspondent. And we were talking about, you know, uh, like the, the latest GDP numbers. We're talking mm-hmm. about economic, economic stories, like unemployment numbers, interest mm-hmm. rates. Like it was really sort of core economic stuff. Oh yeah. And then I started getting a lot of requests to do personal finance. Like it just mm-hmm. sort of snowballed into, Oh, could you talk about, um, you know, whatever it was to, to save money, how to save money this way and how to save for a house and how to uh, make, you know, how to get out of the paycheck to paycheck or, you know, like really practical yeah. stuff. And then one day someone started calling me an expert and mm-hmm. I thought, okay, this is really awkward because I don't really feel like an expert. But then <laughs> I again went to my little community and asked, asked around and said, like, they're calling me an expert now. 
And they're like, well, you, you had so many years under your belt. They've been calling, I was on Stephen and Chris at that point. And Stephen and Chris was calling me a financial expert, which was really heavy. And, (laughs) um, so that was it. And then I kind of realized that this was where I was happiest. I still sometimes do some stuff for News Talk 1010 where I'll talk about, I, I, I kind of Mm -hmm. relish it now because it gets me out of my comfort zone because this is my comfort zone, personal finance. So I'll do the business column on CBC and they'll email me a bunch of stories. And sometimes I'll be like, gee, all night reading this because I had no idea what this is about because Mm -hmm. I haven't haven't been up to date on what's going on in the business news because I have been so immersed in what I'm doing personal. But I mean, it's, it's not that unfamiliar to me, but it is, um, but that's sort of how I ended up where I am. And now I'm kind of, that's who I've become, I guess. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. It seems kind of like a, a twisty road to kind of where you end up, but that's just kind of life. <laughs> it's just never kind of a straight and narrow. And I but. always like, some people will say to me, well, how do I, you know, like there's so many people now that want to do uh, their own thing online, right? Like they want to become yeah. a lifestyle blogger or they want to. And I mean, all of that is great because online is such an amazing community that can propel you so quickly if you get the right audience. Yeah. Um, I haven't been so, pro- I haven't been so successful online. I have to admit, like my website is not something I paid much attention to. I don't have a massive Twitter or Facebook. I really stuck to the traditional stuff because mm-hmm. again, that's what I'm comfortable with. But um, I, you know, but it's just, it's more finding that you can't just be a lifestyle blogger. You've got to be almost like a lifestyle blogger that talks about shoes. You know, you almost have to have something specific to hang on to so that people come to you when they have that need. Yeah. You can't Um, be too general. Yeah. I think that being a generalist generally, I think is a bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) Good one. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely true. Yeah. I I know so many, um, personal finance bloggers, uh, you know, in Canada and the United States. And I feel like, you know, the longer you're a blogger, the more you realize at a certain point, you're like, Oh, okay. I figure, I, I figured out kind of the recipe to, um, grow my, or, you know, go from blog to brand and really, um, change things up is to kind of own a certain space or a certain niche and uh you know starting out as a generalist isn't just you know you can start out as that but then you kind of have to figure out okay but what am I gonna you know um focus on specifically and uh yeah that's interesting that you bring it up but it's also funny that you mentioned that you haven't really you know um taken on the online world whereas lots of people from the online world are trying to get into your space (laughs) the traditional space so that's kind of funny Grass is always greener, yeah. I guess. <laughs> I, can't, I mean, I guess so. And I think, like, I just, like, I've try, I'm have i trying now to do these vlogs online. Yeah. And I don't really necessarily think I'm adding value. Like, my whole, my whole career has been, I'm not going to do it unless I add value, which has kind of been a roadblock for me because I will not put myself out there unless I absolutely believe I'm going to change someone's yeah thinking or add value to their life or make some sort of mark. Like I don't want to just do things that go out into the ether and never come, you know, I just, I just don't like that feeling. And I feel like there's so much of that. Like you go online, like I tried to do a little bit of like market research and go online and look and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like everyone's just talking about their life. And I'm like, if I'm (laughs) going to be another human being talking about my boring life, whereas I don't, (laughs) Like, I really think that I'm a quite a normal person. Like, I have, you know, I have two kids. Like, you couldn't be more, Mm -hmm. like, normal than me. Like, two kids, a husband. We live, like, sort of suburbia. Like, you know, I'm pretty... 
So I don't really understand how that would be interesting to somebody. Although I've been you told, know, yeah, that's just so, what people like though. People <laughs> like finding people that they like, that they can identify with that are similar to them. So you're probably actually totally interesting to a bunch of people, Hopefully. including all of the listeners right now. <laughs> but my, my thing is I want to take big ideas that seem overwhelming. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you hear about it, especially in the business news and it sort of just goes right over you and yeah. distill it down. And I realized last week I did a, a column a couple of weeks ago, I did a column on, um, interest rates and how to save money in this low interest rate environment. Yeah. And is it even worth it anymore? Like just dump it all in a house and you'll be fine. Like yeah. what's the deal? Right. Um, and there were people that were asking like pretty, um, simple questions about TFSAs. And I realized like, there's still like, I always think yeah. that, Oh, well, like everyone knows what a TFSA is. Come on. Like that's so mm -hmm. easy. But I like, and the, like so, uh, the other day someone stopped me and asked me, Oh, you know, I really want to do something different with my investments. I was like, okay, well, how are you invested? Like, that's the first question, mm -hmm. right? Like, what do you want to do different? They're like, well, it's all dividends. I'm like, okay, <laughs> what does that mean? What do you mean yeah. all dividends? Like, what does that mean? That, yeah. yeah, so they're like, they're trying to tell me that all their stocks pay a dividend, but they don't understand. Like, yeah. just some financial advisor somewhere one day told them, you're going to make a lot of money because all the places we've invested you have dividends coming in. And that's all they heard was dividends. Yeah. Yeah, And so it tells me that, you know, that this core stuff I'm doing is still pretty important. <laughs> it is. No, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because the, uh, I, I did a podcast episode recently and uh, I did it and then I went out to dinner with my friend and the episode I recorded was all about how you're paying fees on your investments and how two out of three people don't know they're actually paying fees. And I went out with my friend and I told her this and she's like, I'm paying fees. So mm -hmm. yeah, like there, like there's some core things that you're like, that's kind of a no brainer for, you know, people that I guess are in this kind of personal finance world. But I guess for, for lots of people, the basics, you know, if you aren't interested and you don't kind of, you know, read, um, you know, blogs, newspapers or go online and, or watch TV or whatever, and are interested in this, you won't ever learn. I mean, we're not taught in schools. I certainly wasn't. And I mean, unless you kind of come from, you know, a family that is open about it and will kind of teach you that's that's a good way to start but lots of us don't and they don't learn until they're in their 30s like I still have you know friends who are my age and they're just starting to think about investing because they're just focusing more on just like surviving in the city and paying off their student loan right I just think that the we have um our, our um our values have somehow shifted to learning more, like I bet you, if you stop yeah. somebody on the street, they could give you the play-by-play -play of what happened to Kim Kardashian in Paris, oh, right? For like they sure. could tell you, right? Like I just yeah. read an article where it's got like pictures of her getting off the plane. Like even I know too much about it, right? I because know too much too. I know too much. Yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> that's the problem is that we don't approach our the like the important stuff, which yeah. is our money, our family, mm -hmm. our you know our health. We don't approach that stuff with that kind of, uh, interest. We, mm -hmm. we don't really, you know, like we'll sign, uh, we'll sign our, like a mortgage agreement. We're not even really reading the fine print or mm -hmm. we sign up to a gym and we're not even really focusing on how we're actually going to get to the gym every day. Like it's so mm -hmm. like, we just do things that we think are good for ourselves, but we're not really practically, uh, being critical about them mm -hmm. so that the way that we're critical, you know, Oh, I, I, but yesterday I read this about Kim Kardashian. So today I don't know why this is happening. So we're able to do it with other things. Why can't we do that with 
the important stuff. That's all. I know. I mean, we deal with money on a day-to-day basis. It's kind of crazy that so many people don't really understand how to manage it and w- what all those core principles are about. And I, I feel like, you know, part of it is, you know, uh, just education. There just, there needs to be more of it. And part of it is just, you know, I think, uh, you know, back in the day, like in my parents' day, they heavily relied on their financial advisor to kind of steer the ship in their um, financial journey. And now you can't really do that. I find you need to really take ownership of your money and um, know as much as you can. And sometimes it seems a bit complex, just overcomplicated, and it's math and people hate math, but it's really not. At the end of the day, it's really simple. I, I Yeah, I do. I think that if you really want to take control of your money, you have to manage it yourself. That is my mm-hmm. absolute 100% opinion because you can seek the advice of whoever you like because that's a good thing like to go out mm-hmm. there and ask experts what they think about what you're doing with your money. But in the end, you need to understand it 100% backwards and forwards in order for you to actually succeed because you'll miss things like those fees or you'll miss mm-hmm. things like you'll buy a stock um, at the day after, uh, you would qualify for the dividend for that quarter. So little things like, mm-hmm. you know, you'll just lose out on, or you'll miss a deadline and all of a sudden you won't get, um, a, you know, a certain break because you're in the new tax year. I mean, people do mm-hmm. these things all the time. If I'm like, if you had just known this about your money, you would have made decisions differently. And then you wouldn't have had, uh, you, know, you would have just, you would have made a, you know, if that would have been $50 extra in your pocket or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. But if you do that in little bits and bits and bits and bits, it, it, it equals a lot. And it's just exactly. managing your money. It's not, it's not even spending it differently. It's just managing yeah. it differently. Absolutely. I think a lot of it, I mean, this is a pretty bold statement, but I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that many of us who don't know how to manage our money is because we make pretty good money and mm-hmm. we don't really appreciate the fact that there are people not just here in, you know, in Toronto or Canada, but Mm -hmm. there are people around the globe um, Mm -hmm. who don't make that much money and they're forced to watch every penny. So many of us growing up have never been forced to watch every penny. So it's very easy to get like, oh, I spent a hundred bucks on dinner or I spent this or who cares? I'll do my RSP later because we have options growing up, you know, and I think that those options have sort of created little um, situations where, you know, even if we fail, we're still going to be okay. Cause, um, I know. You know we're set up that way. So I think that's part of it. I, I mean, I yeah. like, I've seen some of my own relatives come new parts to the country. They're better at managing money because they mm-hmm. realize how hard it is to make it They're yeah. way. And they're way better at understanding. Like they can understand they, they have a better understanding of the tax system. They know how to go and get a course for free and then land. Like they're just so much better at knowing how to get things done without spending a lot of money. It's yeah. pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree with you on that one. I think we're definitely, you know, privileged in Canada if we kind of grew up in the middle class. I mean, things, you can get anything you want anytime. And if you don't have the money, that's fine. It's easy to get credit. It's scary yes. how easy it is. Yes. So yeah, that's definitely something that hopefully something changes. Well, hopefully you and me, as you, we continue to educate people about these uh, important things, will slowly change the world. Maybe that's a bold statement. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I mean, changing the world is, is a little bit is, is a little bit too big for me, a bit a bit, a bit yeah. ambitious for me. Okay, but, change know, our I, communities. I, I don't know. Make a yeah, make an impact in our communities. And help people understand that, you know, you're making a certain salary because of all the opportunities that you were given. And that you yeah. should 
be able to take those opportunities and teach yourself better how to manage those that money. Like, don't expect that the good times are going to roll all the time because people do fall on hard yeah. times and then you're thinking, wow, I should have managed better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for talking money with me, Rubita. It was an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And that was episode 68 of the Mo Money podcast featuring the wonderful Rubina Ahmed Huck. And make sure to check out her website, Always Save Money. Check her out on Twitter, on YouTube, everything. She's everywhere. And she's got a wealth of knowledge that you definitely need to check out. And make sure to check out also the show notes for this episode where I'm going to uh, put some uh, stuff that we talked about, some important links, more info about Rubina in the show notes at jessicamorehouse.com slash 68. Make sure to check that out. And of course, thanks to Wellsimple for supporting this episode of the Mo Money podcast. Make sure to check them out at wellsimple.com. They are the fastest growing automated investing service in Canada. They use smart technology to help you create and manage a diversified investment portfolio. And since you're a Mo Money podcast listener, you can get $50, a $50 bonus, guys, when you sign up at wellsimple.com slash Jessica Morehouse. And thank you for listening. Make sure you, you know, if you haven't already, give me an iTunes review. I would appreciate it. And I would give you a shout out on a future episode. So make sure to go out to iTunes and give me a review. And until tomorrow, I I will see you back here tomorrow because I have another listener series episode that you will not want to miss. So I will see you back here tomorrow. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.